Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kieran. How are you? I'm good. I survived my first week of school. Yay. I get to write an essay. I'm... Yes. What are you taking? I'm taking English uh, and motors and drives, and I'm retaking machining, and I'm finishing math. Mine starts next week um, on Tuesday evening. We have our orientation day, which is where I learn which tutorial group I'm going to be in and who I'm going to be working with all year. And I already know two of my classes. I'm going to audit um like the history of education in america and i'm gonna take um women and social movements which is taught by one of the women's studies professors nice yeah that sounds awesome it's gonna be good um you got some mail i saw i did oh my god (laughs) yes did the back turn out okay Yes, it's it's great. I'm gonna show you a picture because we're on the internet, uh, but it looks good. Yes. And I'll post a picture on the internet for everyone who's listening. If you want to see a picture of my uterus on a pillow, it's awesome. Karen, I couldn't like I can't actually make the pitch of the squee that needs to happen because my voice is lower. <laughs> um, but it's there. What are you gonna be doing with this pillow? Like, I really want to stab it, but I also really don't want to stab it because it's great, but I will probably still stab it anyway. Because the catharsis is needed. Needles. Yeah. That's what pins are for. Yes. Yes, this is correct. And I have a ton of those. So that'll happen. I'll just do that later after we're done here. I'll just, like, stab. I'll light some sage and stab. Good. And the photo needs to have the stabbed pillow in it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That'll happen. Great. Um... So when we got on the phone with each other this evening, we were talking about doing um, either courtship or educational neglect per a Twitter discussion earlier this week, and we changed our minds. Oops, sorry. (laughs) Um, We'll get to courtship later. That will be some really juicy stories. Um, And so will educational neglect. We'll probably have a guest on for that one. Um, but why did we change our mind? Because we realized that in order to better understand the context of everything that we're going to talk about in the future, we should really explain what fundamentalism is and what cults are and how they're related, how they're different and like sort of get a broader angle of what it looks like because it's not just limited to Christianity. Right. It's a kind of a, there's a spectrum here, and it goes from, like, high levels of control to low levels of control. And um, the further you get into high levels of control, the closest you get to being a cult. And there, there are different, like, sociology, um, academic positions on what makes a cult. But most of them um, come down to about 10 criteria, and... Um, and the reason we called this kitchen table cult is because um, being homeschooled at the kitchen table in a high control environment, it felt like a cult at home 
not just at church, but also at home. And so our families were microcosms of the cult culture. And um, I'm using that term in an academic way. Um, so what were some of the things that like, did, like were part of our upbringing that register as cult like symptoms? Um, very black and white thinking, very rigid, very literal interpretations of things, especially the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, no room for freedom of thought, no room for dissent, no room to think for yourself. You had to toe exactly what the leader believed, whether it was your pastor or your parents. Um, and I'll just put a pin in that real fast. Like, this is something that's different from communal culture, where it's like, we're putting the needs of the group above the needs of the individual. That's not what was happening. What was happening was the needs of the leader were put over anyone's individual needs and the needs of the group. Right. Yeah, it was very much all about whoever is in the position of leadership and not everything else was extra. It all came down to power differentials. So you couldn't challenge the authority. You like were, if you were... Um, interacting with people outside the group who had different authority um, authorities in their lives, they were suspect, and you were taught yep. to distrust them. Um, and that also came into like distrusting yourself, right? Right. Well, I mean, especially if you were not a dude, because, or at least for me, my parents, um, they kind of laxed on it a little bit later, but for the longest time. Uh, it was really women could only hear from God through like their husband or their father or whatever. And over time that got relaxed and they were like, well, women can also hear from God, but it has to confirm whatever the man in their life says. So you can hear from God, but if it conflicts with the male leader, then the male leader's God hearing is more accurate than the woman's God hey, do learning. Hey, do you want to hear a joke about when I was leaving that, that line of thinking? Yes. So once upon a time, I was at college, and this guy decided he was in love with me, and he was really um, stressed because I was clearly crushing on someone other than him, and he decided we had to have a serious conversation about this, and he's like, so I prayed about this a lot, and God said that we were meant to be together, and I was like, well, I've prayed about this a lot too, and he didn't say anything to me of the sort. <laughs> Oh, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> that's so good. And he um he couldn't do anything because he wasn't already in a position of power over me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so good. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Then y'all, um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's another yeah, that's another piece of it is like, um, in our particular world, gender roles were used to reinforce that. And they weren't necessarily the problem. They're a totally separate problem. They are a problem. But they were used to keep people, like, really tightly, like, in that space. Right. Which is the ultimate, like, which is the thing that um, cult-like environments do, is they try very hard to keep you in the group and not let you out. So whatever they can control to keep you in, they will try to do. So... What is going on in your world right now that brought this topic up for us? Uh, there's just a lot of politics that is happening. 
Um, it's election season, and mm-hmm. I'm in California, and everywhere I go is is infighting in one way or another, whether it's like at school or in greater politics. There is a lot of the same dynamic, and I see it over and over and over again, which is there are this group of leaders that people respect and, and listen to leaders, and usually. don't question. Right. People who've been there a while and are entrenched. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is just, it's something that is, I've just every community that I've been in that has a lot going on, if they're not careful, they tend to have these traits where there's a set of leaders who everyone follows unquestioningly and they tend to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. And then if someone comes in and questions that or like starts trying to play with it or dismantle it or learn or do something or starts dissenting, then people start freaking out. They get more controlling. Um, you then very quickly realize like that there is an in-group and an out-group and there's the people who follow the party line and the people who don't. Yeah. And... I've seen a lot of organizations and a lot of groups like just implode after that. And it takes a lot of conscious effort for people to get through that and may in like continue working. It, it a sounds lot of, like a, a lot church of split. Doesn't it though? I don't this know is, where This is what I, I say every before. time I see this happen. I'm like, this feels like church. I have been, working in nonprofits and development organizations internationally, um, on a national level, on a local level, um, ever since I first got a job. And every single time I'm in these situations in, a, in the nonprofit world, I comment to someone at some point where I'm like kind of stressed because there's this infighting happening and there's this control thing going on and there's this like, you have to like work hard because you believe in the cause and we can take advantage of you because you believe in the cause and we don't have to pay you right or treat you right or whatever because like right. we all believe in the same thing. And I'm like, this feels like a cult. Like, I've seen this before. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I, I swear um, every small group that I have ever been part of that is trying to enact social change ends up having a moment where they have to decide whether or not they're gonna be a cult. Yep, yep, same experience here. Every single time there there comes a moment where it's it's sort of like the defining thing. Everything comes to a head and you either split and and fizzle out and die and you have like this one section that just like follows the leader and the other disperses or or you can like choose to be introspective and grow and learn from the experience. Right. And it's kind of like I mean Honestly, psychologically speaking, it is a reflection of adolescence of a kind. Like, the group is in its adolescence, and it has to learn how to deal with the fact that there are no rules, and you have to create them, and you could either be rigid with them, or you can grow as you learn and adapt, Um, just like we do as humans, like, individually, like, at some point, we realize that our parents don't know everything and their rules might not actually um, interact with reality correctly. And we have to, like, accommodate with that. Yep. 
Um, that makes so much sense, actually. That's a really good way to explain it. Yeah. So fundamentalism is something that is not just Christian, but it definitely, like the the, the word fundamentalism um, originated in a particular part of Christian history um, in America. Um, <laughs> she got through the gate. She got through the gate. This side of it. Puppy. Okay. Um, it should be in the bathroom, I thought. It's the red can. Okay. Did you wipe down the carpet? Yes. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'll have to introduce you. Yeah, guys. the origination of fundamentalism. Okay. So fundamentalism is a word that is used much more broadly now, but originally refers to a particular... Um, church stance that was taken at the turn of the century, like in 1910, 1912, um, when modernism was on the rise and the church um, overreacted. Uh, you want to talk about this a little bit? I don't know much about it besides what I'm reading on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, which basically spawned a bunch of essays. <laughs> it's like the... <laughs> a ton of essays. Where have seen this before? It's like the Federalist Papers. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere since the dawn of man. Okay, so they were scared. The church was scared. And so they decided to double down on, like, what exactly do we believe? So that you can't be a Christian and believe X. Um, yep. So they were getting... It's almost like they were making a massive purity test. Really? Wow. I know. I've never heard of this. Shocked. Shocking. So they were circling the wagons. And this is something I, I was, I've been talking about this like a lot recently. Um, I said this on Twitter the other day. Fundamentalists are circling the wagons. Evangelicals want to pull you into the circle of wagons. But they believe basically the same thing. Like yeah. um, fundamentalists are just like more, much more overtly us versus them where we give up on everybody outside of our group. We're just going to, like, focus on the inside of our group. And the evangelicals want to seduce you into that center. Um, so they wrote a bunch of essays. And it was basically, like, against Roman Catholicism, against what they called higher criticism, which was, like, um, basically the Bible, like, Bible scholarship was developing at that point to such a point where people realized that um, warning, heresy alert, <laughs> that the Bible was written by a whole lot of authors, a whole lot of different authors in different time periods. And that like... Hannah. What? Do you mean God himself did not reach an arm down from heaven and write the Bible? No, he like possessed the writers to make them write it for him. <laughs> <laughs> it was instead of demon possession, it was God possession. Same thing. Have you ever heard of a prophet before? <laughs> <laughs> right. No. Um. So they basically like higher criticism is taking an academic interpretation of literature and treating the Bible as literature and saying the Bible has to be read in historical context. The Bible has to be read in terms of the biases of the authors and, like, what they were living through and, like, what they knew about the world 
and what they believed about how humans were interacting with each other and how they should interact with each other. Um, what were their absolutes? And so, you know, like all of the, like, for example, for example, a really good example, Romans talking about sexuality and homosexuality and um, basically those who have like studied the historical context of that were like Paul is basically talking about pedophilia in Rome. He's not saying mm -hmm. don't have sex with the people you love. He's saying don't have unconsenting sex with minors. It's wrong. Um, but given literal interpretation, you can't see that that way. So higher criticism no. was something that they wanted to push up against because it meant that um, the church had to broaden its interpretation of the Bible. They're also pushing back against like evolution because that was on the rise that the, the belief in evolution rather than like literal six day creation was on the rise. Um, they're pushing back on atheism because that was becoming more common and would become much more common after World War I um, mm -hmm. for good reason. So all of us were, like, they decided to, like, establish, like, what the fundamentals of the Protestant church were. And that's where Christian fundamentalism spawned from. That was definitely a lot of what I learned. Mm -hmm. Like, my parents definitely saw reading the Bible as any way other than literal uh was sacrilege so right like the idea of it being a literary historical document was just blasphemy to them right i was shocked when i got to grove city college and like realized that a lot of other christians read the bible like literature rather than literally yeah that's still shocking to me it's great i love it um <laughs> So one of the yeah so one of the things that is interesting now is the term fundamentalist like is seen as a derogatory term internally within Christian circles because it does refer to this black and white absolutist mindset um, and this like taking up making people take a purity test of belief before like accepting them into the inner circle and yeah and it's also very like well yeah it's extremely dogma over people but also sometimes to the point where you will be excluded from interacting with people if you don't meet the test oh yeah shunning is definitely like still commonly practiced um so the thing that we've seen since leaving fundamentalism is that fundamentalism as a descriptive term for how people think about things is rampant everywhere and it's not limited to christianity no, it's I've experienced it in like the art community. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it in politics. I've experienced it in school. I've experienced it in just like communities that I've joined at large. Um, I see it in people. And it's just a thing that happens. Like in terms of recovery groups. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't personally have experiences with addiction, but I see people who have had experiences with addiction going to fundamentalism to become more rigid in their belief systems to like prevent them from falling into whatever they're afraid of. Um, I mean, it makes sense. Like if you are afraid of the, of yourself and you're afraid of the world and you want to like set up things in a very limited fashion to protect yourself, 
yeah, black and white thinking makes sense. Yeah. But it's not a mature um, approach. It's not very self-aware. And we see this on Twitter all the time. Um, We see this with, like, white feminism, (laughs) um, where you have to be, like, exactly X, Y, Z to, like, participate in the in-group. You have to like Hillary Clinton, or you have to like this, or you have to like that. Like, all of these, like, little things that are really not essential to having an accurate understanding of what feminism is. Um, yeah. You see this in call-out culture because that's the direct result of that. Like, when people are canceled, um, it's, like, showing that like, there's, like, an absolute in and out um, mindset. And, like, I completely agree that there need to be consequences, but I don't necessarily think... Um, Hey, God, I don't necessarily think that we have to go as far as we think we have. And with this, our understanding of these things is largely influenced by, like, assuming that a carceral system is a legitimate way to punish wrongdoing. Like, restorative justice is not something that's been well developed in our country um, or in our society. And so, like, we don't really have space to think about these things as options. And so we get canceling we get call-out culture we get absolutes we get purity tests and we get essentially social fundamentalism yes yeah that's something that i see a lot especially when big things happen and people get scared like when people get scared because of a political event happening they tend to pull in and when large groups get scared because of a political event happening and they pull in or and that's like the most lash out. That's the most human response. It's like if you're afraid, you withdraw, you go into your shell and you protect yeah. yourself. But that's not a healthy long-term way to interact with the world. It it is logical, but you're never going to recover from it. And so to right. circle the wagons because you're scared of modernism, well the whole world is going to keep evolving without you. Yep. Uh so you got it you got to just keep working with it and you have to like keep adding the new information to how you process the universe. And I think that's, that's the difference. That's, I think people's capacity to do that is what separates people who are drawn to fundamentalism and like, and, and participate in it. And that is like a fulfilling thing for them and people who don't is the ability to or or the wherewithal to be introspective and learn and Mm -hmm. and the ability to do that and a lot of people who tend to stay in the sort of fundamentalist tendency don't really have the capacity to be as introspective and grow or or don't seem to be able to put the work in i'm sure you get this a lot too um I have people telling me all the time that I'm like wise beyond my years or super mature. I really like, and like I was talking about my divorce to someone recently and she was like, of all the divorced people I know, you're the most self-aware in how you talk about it and like what you did and what he did and how it all went down and why. And my response is always something along the lines of, I had to completely strip my belief system down to nothing and rebuild 
Yep. How could I not? Yeah, people are often really impressed with, like, how, like, self-aware I am and how observant I am of situations and, and how good I am at reading things. And I'm just like, I I have, like, I've, I've stripped my identity and started over so many times. I have started over from scratch. I've had my world shaken. I've had everything turned upside down more times than I can count. So, yeah, I'm pretty good at figuring things out. And, none and of I can see what's happening. Anymore. No, it doesn't scare me. It's like, okay, no. cool, here we go again. Let's see if I can do it I better. I kind of like, way. yeah, I, I feel like it happens so often for me that I'm just sort of like, oh, yeah, nope, it's been like a year. It's about time that I do something life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm a Taurus. I don't like change. I'm really good at dealing with it. I can go into crisis triage mode like that. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> Do I enjoy it? No. But I'm really, no. really good at it. I'm really good at it. Um, yeah. And and that's that's the thing that I don't see, that like resilience is something that I don't see in these com- communities because you set up absolutes. You set up like, yep. this, pr- this leader is infallible. This Text is infallible. This is the only way this can be. This person is good. This person is like my one and only. This is that. And this candidate is everything we want. And this is the only this way This one ballot initiative is the solution to everything. And I'm like, guys, life is really, really long. This ain't gonna last. And really really complicated like it's a good idea but uh we're, we're writing on the whiteboard here we're not writing in sharpie <laughs> right so um how do these groups okay so fundamentalism as a mindset is this kind of like rigid black and white thinking that how like requires purity tests there's gatekeeping mm-hmm. Um, you submit yourself to the ideology and don't question it. Dissent is bad. Um, you have like a really like a impractical loyalty to the original intent of the group or whatever. Um, how does that? How is that different from a cult? Where do we get from um, one to the other? It it depends kind of on the intensity and like cults tend to have like a charismatic leader mm-hmm. or set of leaders. So it's around like a set of people Mm -hmm. so like you can have sort of movements that are high demand or groups that are high demand um and and environments that are high demand that aren't necessarily cults because like you can leave yeah right cults are very not leaving well you were talking about shunning earlier like i think that like groups where like okay we're uncomfortable with dissent and, like, if you leave, like, okay, we feel weird about that, but, like, we're not going to shun you. That's one thing. Right. But, like, a, like, total, like, ostracization of, um, like, social interaction. And I think that's kind of where one of the key differences is, is mm-hmm. when it's you can leave and you're, like, okay, or you leave and you're shunned. What, are the, what are the consequences? Yeah. So it is kind of a slippery slope of sorts, but I think it's actually not a slippery slope. 
because I don't think one necessarily leads to the other. I think it is a mm-hmm. spectrum. Yeah, it's a series of steps that you can go back from at any point. The more afraid you are, the further you get toward cult. Right. Yeah, and it's something that like it's it's not hard if you if you follow like high demand groups, like you can kind of see, you can kind of track like the starting Mm-hmm. And and then it, when it becomes more more paranoid, more demanding, more inside, and then you get problems. Have you watched Wild Wild West? No. Okay, it's on Netflix. I don't think it's so. A, it sounds a, familiar. It's a documentary about a um a cult that was in Oregon, um, and ended up being disbanded. But a lot of um. A lot of big names that we knew know today, like were in it in the seventies when it was started. Um, Bhagwan was the leader, and uh, you see his books around um, still as under the name Osho. Um. Anyway, so I think the thing that that series like really shows well about a cult thinking versus like fundamentalist thinking is that how where the us versus them goes. Um, fundamentalists acknowledge that other people's version of reality can exist, but they're like, but they're wrong. Um, yes. A cult actively tries to dismantle anything that challenges their view of reality. Yes. Their view is the only one that is real. Everyone else is lying. Well, not just everyone else is lying, but everyone else is lying because they're out to get us. Yes. There's that victim yeah, mentality that goes with it. It's extremely paranoid. Yeah, yeah, that paranoia is really part of it. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break and get back in a minute to talk about how you can avoid becoming fundamentalist. Hooray, we're back. Hey, we're back. Um, and now uh, we should talk more about how to keep kind of fundamentalism and fundamentalist-like mentalities at bay. How do you avoid becoming a cult? <laughs> how do you avoid becoming a cult? Well, um, I think like dismantling power structures as they get set up is probably the easiest way. Um, but... How do you how do you avoid becoming fundamentalist is kind of a different question. Um, I think it really has a lot to do with being able to see the world in um, shades of gray and understand perspectives that are different from yours and see them as valid. And I think um, compassion is an act of the imagination, um, and empathy is like when you are able to experience the same emotions as another person is experiencing so putting yourself in another person's shoes really requires um a lot of work in terms of emotional intelligence and so i think that like that's the first place to go for trying to avoid being fundamentalist is like drop the absolutes and look at the world from through a prism that has a whole lot of different sides yeah I think that, like at least for me, when I'm when I'm looking at it from like 
myself and I see like drama happening in groups and I see like the turning point or the threshold approaching, it kind of helps me to remember what I did to escape because it's sort of just like the same thing on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Which was realizing that, like, I can be wrong about things and that I am wrong about things and accepting that and moving forward and growing and learning and not doubling down on my rightness. Um, yeah, I think that's really huge because we both came out of that world with this whole, um, like, an algorithm for how life was supposed to work. and we plugged everything into it and it didn't compute the answer we expected. So now we were standing with like, we have a total blank slate. Like what the fuck? How are we going (laughs) to, what the hell? What are we going to do now? Um, And you have to be willing to assume that you don't know everything um, when you're in that position because it didn't work um right you have a tattoo about this don't you i do yeah so um the kind of story behind it actually was uh i got it after i started filing for divorce in 2016 which was also like a huge thing because that was something i was never supposed to do (laughs) my parents thought divorce was the unforgivable sin like divorce is worse than being gay to my parents Oh, absolutely because you can suppress being gay right yeah it's, it's a choice obviously so. you, you can't uh yeah undo that bond because your soul is now merged with that other person right so um obviously that's incorrect mm-hmm. uh but and this is not the first time that my entire world has flipped on its head and I've had to, f- I've found myself standing where there is no floor, having watched everything collapse from around me and having to build myself from the ground up. And I decided that I wanted to get a tattoo that kind of reminded me of the process and of sort of how I see life. And I've talked about this sort of loosely before, but it's like, I don't think you're ever done growing as mm-hmm. a person. I think you you're always growing and that's like my sort of the way I see life is there is always more for me to learn. There is always something that I don't know. I am always going to be continually evolving. So the tattoo that I have on my wrist is the word evolve in cursive over the infinity symbol, which is then over the HTML entity for the infinity symbol because I'm that kind of nerd. Um <laughs> But what it means is I will just always, I should always be open to change. I should always be open to grow. I should always be evolving and continually growing and admitting that I'm wrong and admitting that I make mistakes and moving from that. And that to me, and that's something that I've talked about in therapy too. Mm -hmm. That's what really kind of is the defining point and what separates me from like my parents and from falling back into that mentality is that. I am self-aware, I'm doing the work, and I realize that I'm wrong, and my wrongness does not lead to an identity crisis, it leads to growth. Yeah, the, the people who are the most rigid about 
adhering to their assumptions about the world are the ones who are going to struggle the most when those assumptions are turned over. And for someone like you and me, we've been through this enough times that we regularly expect to be wrong on an existential level that will fundamentally turn everything upside (laughs) down. So it's like, it's this constant um, journey for us where we're kind of like adjusting our approach to life. We are hacking our brains. We are hacking our understanding of reality. We're adding information as we gather it and we're adapting and we're evolving. And people who aren't able to do that, like tend to fall into that, that fundamentalist mindset where they, um, they limit themselves and they limit the world um, and their ability to grow and um, see see the world in Technicolor functionally. Yeah. What have you noticed? Have you been in, in like places where people have been able to grow, like in organizations where there was yeah. a point where they could have gone one way or the other? What worked? What didn't work? Um, I love working with organizations that are able to do that because they um, they pull best practices from other orgs and they're like, okay, so when you got to this point, what did you do? How did you fix it? What went wrong? Like, where? what can we learn from? And like taking that information and learning from mistakes um, from others and finding things that are tried and true, it's really healthy and it's really refreshing when it happens. Um, and it really comes down to like knowing your limits and like, having an understanding, a clear understanding of like, who am I and what is my role here um, as an individual, but as also as an organization, like what is the situation? What is, what are we trying to provide? Um, and where are our limits? Like it's having boundaries um, around identity as opposed to ideology. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of another thing sort of tangentially that's that's related is a lot of people who tend to be really fundamentalist is their belief is their identity whatever Mm. their like like my parents was faith healing so the thing that they stood their ground on was that doctors were literally of the devil and if you disagreed with that that was what cut you out of our lives and 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 like homeschooling was also another part of that for my parents where homeschooling was a huge part of their identity and so if anyone questioned homeschooling they were questioning my parents existence on a fundamental level and i've noticed that a lot of people it's really easy when you're really angry and you're really passionate and you really want to change things to make politics your identity mm-hmm. and then you just hold on to that and you can't be wrong and that also just leads you down so Chesterton has um, this this concept in his book Orthodoxy called the Madman's Box, and of course this is ableist language from pre World War II. But um, he talks about how his madman is the most sane of all humans because the madman is removing pieces that don't fit in the box and leaving them outside the box, and then everything that's within the box works consistently and coherently kind of like a a little wristwatch it all ticks together really well and it is supremely logical but 
the world is not a logical place. There's a whole lot that we don't know or understand, and we have to constantly learn and grow with it. Um, but if you remove all of the assumptions that challenge your ways of seeing the world, um, you're going to isolate yourself within that little box and never grow. Right. And so I've had people cut me off. Like I had one, one of my best friends from high school, um, when he realized that I thought, no, I like had an academic position of believing that the Bible allowed for premarital sex to not be a sin. He was like, well, this is a fundamental parting of ways, and I'm sorry that you're walking in the darkness. And that was the end of our friendship. Yeah. Because he can't, like, the minute that I step outside of his box, I become a threat to his box. Yep. Um, he stayed friends with me during the divorce, but that was the, that was the turning point. Um, because I wasn't staying with the whole like super conservative courtship world after that and like go re hitting reset on the system. And I was like, <laughs> because the system didn't work. It the system doesn't allow for divorce. What? No, the system didn't work. Like, I, I mean, he, he was also pushing for me to get a, an annulment, which had some validity, but like, I, like the system didn't work and the marriage was what it was. And according to the system, it wasn't valid, but it was a valid marriage. So I have to move on and start from the beginning. Like, right. Yeah. It's the, it is this inability to incorporate new information and just like choosing a point in your intellectual development to just like stop yeah it's uh yeah yeah it's 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 constricting it is and it's like i watched my parents do that like i i watched that change happen because i was born before so i remember when my parents were normal and like had friends and didn't cut people off for disagreeing about whether doctors were good ideas yeah <laughs> And then, and then over time, as they became like more entrenched, more paranoid, more literal and much more black and white and rigid in their thinking and their view of the world. And, and they, they really got to the point where it was basically our, our way of the world is correct and nobody else's is and everybody else is going to hell. Yeah. And like, and I watched that, I watched that shift happen and it got to the point where at one point I was a teenager and they were like, no, it's bad if you change. <laughs> and I thought that was surprising considering I remembered just how drastically we had changed just over the course of my lifetime. That's, that's really interesting. And also like how a teenager, like growing up, you have to change. Like, how's that? How is that not possible? I, think, I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. I think that's that's the thing is like how do you avoid becoming fundamentalist is you have to hold your ideas about how the world works and your ideas of self in an open hand and not clutch it tightly because yes. it's going to change and it may not fit and you might have to discard it and you might have to take on something new and that's just part of being an adult. Like that's just part yeah. of like evolving and um, everybody has to go through it. And the ones that 
don't are the ones that end up hurting themselves and others. And I feel like like that's something I've seen play out personally and also in support groups, in the arts world, in politics, in school. Mm-hmm. It's something that's really pervasive. And what I've noticed is something that I really appreciate is with the organizations and communities who do well is when things come up and they have fights and they're getting criticism is they step back for a second and they think about whether or not like they're doing something wrong they Mm. figure out what the problem is and what went wrong why are people saying this why are people calling us racist why do Mm -hmm. people think we're insensitive why do people think we're mean what what where is the breakdown what's happening Mm -hmm. and and then what happens is not that these organizations come out and say no we're not racist we're perfect thank you is we're like oh, we messed up, we're going to try to do better, and then they do better. Right, because they're not... And the important thing is, they do better. They're not clutching onto this idea of themselves as not racist. They're clutching onto this idea of themselves as our goal is to not be racist. So if... Exactly. We are told that we're failing at that goal, we need to examine how we're going about it and change, not double down and say, like, no, actually, we are what we think we are. Because we're not all who we think we are and we all have blind spots and there are all things that we need to learn. Um, And that's just part of being human. It is part of being human. And, And the best way... The best way to combat, like, sort of the fundamentalist mentality is to, like, make room for mistakes... But to make room to learn from mistakes and recover from mistakes, it's allow for mistakes. And not just to allow for them, but to really embrace them as opportunities and not failures. Because yes. a mistake is something that like opens the door to growth and learning and healing and being better. It's not a slap down. It's not saying right. bad dog, go sit. Like it's like all right, let's walk through this new door and learn something. Yes, exactly. It's a way to learn. It's not, it's not a failing. And, and the environments where if you do make a mistake, you're ostracized are the ones that are really clutching and there's no room to grow. Yeah, I think that's pretty perfect. Well, thanks guys for listening. Check out our Patreon because we're going to do an After Dark soon. Yeah. And if you have any questions, you can send them to us. Um, And I know we promised you guys a courtship episode soon and an educational neglect episode soon, so we'll get that to you. Those will happen, but we felt it was important to have this preface to understand like the overarching world of both of those things right because the rigidity that we experienced in both of those situations was directly tied to the fundamentalist mindset thanks for listening thanks for listening talk to you next time bye bye